Well, I suspect that we are all dealing with coronavirus fatigue. And you're probably wondering, why is he dealing with this again? Well, because the pandemic was so disruptive, controversial, and politically polarizing, I am actually concerned that we don't simply move on with our lives without truly adopting a biblical response to the disease. Are we more grateful today than we were 15 months ago? Do we understand God and His gospel better than we did 15 months ago? Do we have more of the compassion of Christ for the sick and the dying nations than we did 15 months ago? Or have our attitudes and responses been shaped exclusively by left and right wing media sources? And friends, there is a mainstream right wing media in our country. And much of it is just as godless as the left wing mainstream media. There was a growing conspiratorial media in our country, and it too is full of godless people. Today, I want to preach a third and hopefully final sermon on the pandemic. At the beginning, I preached a sermon titled, Thinking Biblically About Coronavirus. That was back in March of 2020. Last Thanksgiving, I preached a sermon titled, Giving Thanks During a Year of Pandemic. And now, let's ask the question, what have we learned from the pandemic? We have learned, I think, at least three surface lessons that I want to dispense with briefly. First, Americans disagree about everything. For 15 months, we've heard endless disagreements about fatality rates, vaccines, lockdowns, the economy, and our freedoms. Some belittled the disease, some were cautious, and some took it extremely seriously. And COVID-19 has affected people very differently. Even in our church, we had several people lose valued loved ones, brothers, sisters, parents, and grandparents. We've had people hospitalized with severe cases. We've had people with mild symptoms. And we've likely had many asymptomatic carriers of COVID-19. You had it and you didn't even know it. My purpose is not to argue a position on COVID-19. Second lesson, Americans view themselves as experts on everything. We are a very proud people who think we know everything we need to know about everything from Facebook and YouTube videos. Overnight, we all became infectious disease experts with Google MDs. You know what a Google MD is, right? Just Google it and you got all your answers. And I really did find myself feeling sorry for our poor medical professionals who just must get sick of having to deal with so much ignorance that just circulates nonstop along the web lines out there. Most media experts know just enough to be dangerous. 
And my purpose today is not to offer any expert opinion. I have no medical qualifications whatsoever. The third lesson we've learned is this. Americans politicize everything. We have two major parties in this country and consequently binary perspectives on everything from race, economic sports, and even COVID-19. In 2020, our country polarized over two different presidential candidates and also polarized over COVID-19. One perspective minimized the disease. Some called it a hoax. Others compared it to a flu. This perspective questioned lockdowns, face masks, and minimized travel. This perspective argued that our religious liberties were being stripped away, views the whole history of America as one continuous and losing battle to preserve the freedoms that we earned in 1776. And by the way, I will say the church has greater liberty today than we did in 1776, but that's a topic for another time. The other perspective maximized the disease. This perspective argued mitigation efforts work. We didn't see a death toll similar to Spanish flu, or far worse, given the acceleration in global travel. This perspective emphasizes that the Spanish flu was finally contained without a vaccine when people started wearing masks. The problem is we just can't turn the clock back to the beginning of 2020 and run different scenarios, one with masks, one without, one with lockdowns, one without. And the arguments are going to go on forever because we are still arguing about the Spanish flu back in 1918. My purpose is not to take sides. My purpose today, I want you to understand, is the purpose of the pulpit. To call us to think biblically about God and every aspect of his world. I do believe the Bible teaches us how to think about every aspect of God's world, including disease. And if we become so ensnared in debates rumbling through our country that we don't pause to think biblically, then we have, in essence, abandoned the faith. When you fail to just infuse your thinking with biblical perspective, you will think in worldly categories. And there is no biblical perspective being offered on Fox News, CNN, NBC, or a variety of other channels, including conspiracy channels. It's just not being offered. I didn't tell the elders what I was going to be saying this morning, but when we had our prayer meeting this morning, two of them prayed, without my saying anything, that we would not really succumb to the thinking of the world. One of them specifically said, Lord, help us not to think the way the media thinks. That's what was prayed this morning. So that really reaffirmed in my mind that I do need to preach this sermon this morning. The first question we need to ask about coronavirus is not, what does the Bible say about disease? The first question is, what does the Bible say about everything? When you approach a specific question with that larger question in mind, you will adopt a responsible, biblically-centered approach. What does the Bible say about everything? Well, let's turn to Genesis 3. 
I've done this with you before, but I'm not going to do exactly the same thing I've done in the past. But I want to identify three biblical truths that the Bible teaches about everything. We'll do this with a little bit different perspective this morning. And after identifying three truths the Bible teaches about everything, I want to come back and I want to zero in on three additional truths, biblical truths, related to the pandemic. The first thing that the Bible says about everything is this. God created a perfect world. Genesis 1 and 2 describe a world where nothing is broken. No virus is burned through animals and transmitted to humans. No tornadoes funnel to the Garden of Eden. No floods washed over the shores of the world. No colds, cough, fever, chills, rashes, cancer, tuberculosis, AIDS, or coronaviruses infected anybody. And God loved that beautiful world. But it did not last. Second, the Bible teaches that man's rebellion introduced a curse on creation. Since the rebellion, we have had to labor under a burning sun against weeds, thistles, disease, famine, war, and the inevitable onslaught of death. And there's no getting around that. Modern diseases like tuberculosis and COVID-19 are the continuation of ancient diseases that have killed humans all over the planet ever since the fall. In the 14th century, upwards of half of Europe's population was swept away by the bubonic plague. An estimated 50 million people when the global population was much, much smaller. Similar plague swept through the Americas with the arrival of the Europeans. By the time the pilgrims arrived in 1620, perhaps 85% of the Native American populations had been destroyed by European diseases. Now, would you observe an important effect of the curse? In the middle of Genesis 3, verse 17, God speaks to Adam. And he says this, Cursed. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. Friends, clearly the ground, as well as its produce, is cursed that now yields thorns and thistles that must be overcome. To hear some Christians speak, all you need is your daily multivitamin and some essential oils, and you can just cure any disease known to mankind. Friends, that's not only medically ignorant, that is spectacular theological ignorance. Your gummy multivitamins don't grow on trees any more than your penicillin does. God cursed the ground and its produce. It yields thorns and thistles. 
Nature no longer produces all the wonderful grocery products full of vitamins and minerals that we need to survive. It doesn't do that anymore. We do not live in Eden full of fruit trees. Nature, friends, is cursed. Almonds are very good for you. But wild almonds cursed by the fall contain cyanide. A handful of them will kill you. Who doesn't enjoy a delicious apple plucked straight from the tree? But they don't grow that way in nature since the fall. Wild crab apples are bitter, tiny, and maggot infested. We no longer just grow out and eat freely from all the trees of the garden save one. It doesn't happen any longer. It's all been cursed. Wild strawberries are tiny. They'd hardly provide a meal for a chipmunk, much less, much less a grown man. Lima beans, watermelons, potatoes, eggplants, cabbages, and many other plants are derived from bitter and poisonous ancestors cursed by the fall. Rye, oats, turnips, radishes, beets, leeks, and lettuce all began as weeds before human cultivation. Corn was a staple crop for Native Americans, but its undomesticated, uncultivated ancestor, Teosinti, contains a rock-like covering over its seed, and it's about the size of your thumb. Really, really hard to digest, really hard to cultivate, really hard to eat. It's extraordinarily difficult to turn that into a grocery product. The wonderful grocery crops that we take for granted, friends, have not occurred naturally since the fall. They haven't. The ground and its produce is cursed. And friends, you do not have to take my word for this. What other church in America has a Ted Whitwell with a Ph.D. in agronomy and a dissertation on weeds? Is that right, Ted? Agronomy and weeds? All right? So I, I, I talked this sermon through with him on Wednesday night. You can go ask him. Nature doesn't like us. Now, I know people who oppose modern medicines and vaccines because they don't occur naturally. And I just want to say, well, neither do your organic groceries that you paid a fortune for. If you plucked your groceries straight from nature, you'd be dead. The belief that every disease can be cured with some homeopathic natural remedy is actually theologically misguided. God cursed the ground and its produce. Now, friends, don't misunderstand I don't want to get anybody angry at me, all right? I take my multivitamins every day, and I smuggle kale and spinach, broccoli, chia, and flax seeds, and even avocado into my kids' smoothies. Don't tell them. I'm all about healthy eating. But I do have a fundamental theological problem with the view that says all modern medicines and vaccines are bad. All you need is natural vitamins and minerals because the ground is cursed. And it's produce. Now, I'll come back to this, but let's go to Romans 5. And let's notice one more dimension of how the fall affected not only the ground, but all mankind. Romans 5. I received a couple of links recently in my inbox. 
to an article with a paranoid headline. Perhaps you've received similar. It read, and I quote, Everyone vaccinated for COVID will die, warns French French virologists, and, and die is in all capital letters. Well, it turns out the French virologist never said any such thing. But friends, he could have. Because everyone vaccinated for COVID will die. And everyone not vaccinated for COVID will die. Romans 5.12 Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death spread through sin, how far does it go? And so death spread to all men, because all sinned. We all sinned in Adam. When Adam failed in the garden, I rebelled with him. And friends, we are all in the process of dying. And the best medical intervention only slows the process. That's what medicine is all about, slowing the process of your inevitable death. And I wonder, have we not felt the solidarity of the human race through this pandemic? COVID-19 did not observe racial, ethnic, linguistic, or national boundaries. A disease that affects one has the potential to affect everyone. It's really, truly remarkable. Personally, and again, this is, this is personal opinion, I was fiercely opposed to President Trump's attempt to call the virus the Chinese virus or the China virus, even if it did originate in China, and even if it was manufactured deliberately. That is not the fault of millions of Chinese people who have suffered tremendously. My heart breaks for them. They are my fellow image bearers, and they suffer, like me, with disease and death. The Spanish flu, which was far more deadly, originated not in Spain, but in Haskell, Kansas. Viruses can originate anywhere because all men everywhere fell in Adam. Friends, the true origin of the virus is right there in Romans 5 and verse 12. That's where it began. We are all fallen in Adam. And every tribe and tongue and nation experienced COVID-19. It even showed up in Antarctica. This is what the Bible says about everything. Now, thankfully, there is a third thing the Bible has to say about everything. And it equally affects every tribe and tongue and nation, including millions and millions of my Chinese brothers worshiping in Christ in churches all through China today. And it's this third truth that explains why Christians should really respond with compassion, with compassion for the suffering people of the world. Here's the third truth. God is redeeming his creation through the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says about everything. Look at Romans 5 and verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass, when we all sinned in Adam, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. 
And whose act of righteousness is that? Verse 21. So that as death, as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, Jesus has come to return eternal life to his creation, to every tribe and tongue and nation. Now, we do, of course, understand that Jesus came to make an atonement for human sin and to pardon our iniquity through the blood of his cross. That is, in fact, our greatest need. But the gospel does not merely affect my standing with God. The gospel actually affects my body and the creation all around me. Paul makes the point crystal clear in Romans chapter 8. All of creation will be restored through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the second Adam. Friends, Jesus came to heal our global diseases, to cure all our wounds, and to raise every tribe and tongue and nation in the new creation. And if we can embrace these three truths, unlike the average American citizen or news commentator, how then should we interpret COVID-19? Let me identify for you three more truths that you will not hear on talk radio or television and probably not on social media. Three more truths that I really want us to embrace as people who embrace the Scripture. First of all, a good God does not judge us with the severity that we deserve. Has coronavirus taught you that? Let's turn to Genesis 8. A good God does not judge us with the severity that we deserve. Every time I hear somebody just downplaying the disease, I just, I just want to give thanks. A good God does not judge us with the severity we deserve. Wonderful. You're asymptomatic. Wonderful. A good God does not judge us with the severity we deserve. Now, man's rebellion provoked God to send a global flood, destroying all mankind save one family in a boat. And God could indeed send a global pandemic to wipe out mankind on this planet. Coronavirus has taught us how fragile and how vulnerable we truly are, every last one of us. We live on the edge of imminent disaster. Bubonic plague, Ebola, or some new disease could wipe out humanity on this planet. A terrible blight could destroy our crops. We could experience catastrophic fires like those that burned through the Northwest in 1910. Or another great dust bowl in the heart of a depression that produced great famine. History teaches us how ruthless and destructive the curse can really truly be. But after the flood, God promised never again to allow the curse to destroy us all. It's not going to happen, friends. Look at the middle of verse 21. I will never again 
Genesis 8.21, I will never again curse the ground because of man. That's a reference to the worldwide flood. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. Now, does this verse sound odd to you? It's actually a non sequitur. It means it doesn't follow. God will never again curse us because the intent of our hearts are still evil. That's what it's saying. God is never again going to curse us like this because we're just as evil. Well, shouldn't that read, God is just going to keep on cursing us because the the intentions of our hearts are always evil. That's how it should read. You'd expect that, right? But a good God does not judge us with the severity we deserve. And we are no better today than we were before the flood. We are just as sinful friends. Nevertheless, God has graciously determined never to strike the earth again with the magnitude of the global flood. It's not going to happen. Friends, coronavirus is just a hint of what we truly deserve. We deserve far worse. This is biblical perspective. And when you interpret COVID-19 merely from a political or economic standpoint, when you side exclusively with Trump or Biden, when your biggest concern is whether COVID-19 originated in a lab in Wuhan, you will fail to think soberly about what we truly deserve. And again, don't anyone misconstrue what I'm saying. There is a place for examining the economic impact of coronavirus lockdowns. And I I applaud Governor McMaster for doing just that. He should. I'm not convinced myself that they really work. But this is not biblical perspective. And friends, I believe there is a place for tracking down the origins of disease and trying to prevent another outbreak. I have no problem with that. But Dr. Fauci and Senator Rand Paul are not having a theological discussion. Whether COVID-19 originated in a lab or in bats or in Haskell, Kansas, its ultimate origin, friends, was Romans 5 and verse 12. In Adam, we all sinned and death spread to all men. And Christians should be proclaiming to the world that a good God has really spared us from the destruction we genuinely deserve. That's biblical perspective on disease. Now, would you notice something else about the goodness of God in verse 22? This is an absolutely delightful verse. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. A good God will continually send us the seasons of the year, the regularity of night and day, both of which are necessary to plant and crop cycles. But focus on the delightful words, seed time and harvest. Those words imply human industry and ingenuity are part of the ongoing goodness of God. 
planting and harvesting are activities humans must engage in in order to survive. We have to exercise dominion ever since the fall. We can't survive without it. And God continually sends us farmers to plant at seed time and to reap at harvest time because God is very, very good. Theologians call this common grace. You've heard that term, common grace. Yes, we are still fallen, and farmers are just as sinful as the rest of us. But God uses even unregenerate farmers to feed us, just like God uses sinful doctors to cure us and sinful police officers to protect us and sinful builders to shelter us. God refuses to judge us with the severity we deserve. Instead, God takes rebellious, sinful image bearers and he uses them to restore goodness to his creation and to improve our lives. God is good. And let's think about our crops for just a moment. How do you get grocery products from bitter, poisonous ancestors cursed by the fall? How can there be a seed time and harvest? Well, here's the answer. Here's the non-scientific answer. Go to Ted for the scientific answer. Here's the theological answer. Our food comes from the human ingenuity that God has graciously given to his fallen image bearers. It's the same human ingenuity that produces our medicines and our vaccines. The same divinely inspired human ingenuity that enables us to build homes and schools and factories. Ancient fallen image bearers figured out how to cultivate a genetically altered almond that lacks glycoside amygdalin, which turns into hydrogen cyanide when crushed. And I don't know what any of that means. But thanks to some ancient farmer, you can eat almonds without dying. And thanks to some chemist in a lab, you can take modern medicine without dying. The ingenuity is the same, even if we understand the science a whole lot better, with much better tools. Ancient farmers all over the globe took wild plants and domesticated, grafted, cross-pollinated, and genetically altered them in some cases through numerous plant cycles until a grocery product was finally achieved. It's absolutely marvelous to look at the history of food production all over the planet. One scholarly estimate suggests ancient farmers transformed the ground from 0.1% productivity to over 90% productivity per acre. Absolutely astonishing. Grafting is necessary for the production of many fruit trees, including apples, pears, plums, and cherries, And to the best of our knowledge, it originated in China, and we have no idea how. With all of our modern advancements, we have never discovered, get this, we have never discovered or developed a single grocery product not already discovered by ancient farmers. We have no new plants that they didn't already discover. How ancient men did this is a tremendous mystery. Again, the history of global food production, the first step in human survival is a global testimony to the truth that God made us in his own image and likeness with the capacity to exercise dominion over all the planet. 
And it reaffirms the truth that God does not judge us with the severity we deserve. God graciously gave us the ingenuity that we need to literally survive everywhere in this fallen world. Because God will never again strike the whole earth with a flood. Jared Diamond, who was an evolutionist and Pulitzer Prize winning author of Guns, Germs, and Steel, ponders this very question that I'm talking about of how ancient men figured this all out. And he writes, How did certain wild plants get turned into crops? That question is especially puzzling in regard to many crops like almonds, whose wild progenitors are lethal. The first farmers didn't even have any existing crop as a model to inspire them to develop new ones. Hence, they couldn't have known that whatever they were doing, they would enjoy a tasty treat as a result. Diamond also admits that he cannot comprehend how our primitive ancestors, significantly lower than us in evolution development, ever mastered the cultivation of edible crops. I mean, how did it happen? But friends, Diamond is actually mistaken on two points. First of all, our ancestors are not inferior to us at all. They are equally image bearers of God, given the capacity to exercise dominion all over the earth. And second, they did have a model to inspire their work. That model was the original creation from which we fell. Our ancestors labored against weeds, thistles, and poisons to restore productivity to creation. Now, Genesis 8 does not speak directly to the cultivation of medicine, but friends, the human ingenuity is the same. A good God has gifted fallen humans with the mental capacity to fight disease through medicine and vaccines. This is how God keeps his promise. One of the ways, I should say, that God keeps his promise never again to strike the whole earth with a universal death. Friends, no virus will ever destroy mankind on this planet. That happens in the movies. It doesn't happen in the biblical world. God will never again strike this whole planet with a curse that wipes everybody out, with a disease that's just going to take everybody down. It's not going to happen. Now, I thought about this next portion of the sermon, and I thought maybe I shouldn't preach this, but I'm going to anyways. It is not my place to try to persuade any of you to get the COVID-19 vaccine. I don't want any of you to think that's what I'm doing because I have no medical expertise. That, that would be inappropriate for me. I haven't even tried to convince my wife, actually. But I, I made a personal decision to actually receive the vaccine for numerous reasons after consulting many, many people with big brains like Lee C. Red and Dr. Johannes and others. But I, I made a personal decision to receive the vaccine partly because of my understanding of common grace. Uh, contrary to much of the news out there, image bearers of God have been laboring in laboratories on mRNA vaccines for nearly 30 years. 
And they've applied the technology to coronaviruses like SARS and MERS for nearly 20 years. They've also developed vaccines for Ebola, flu, and Zika using the mRNA technology. And you should read a little bit about SARS and MERS. They are also, again, coronaviruses. But they did not become global pandemics, and you better be grateful. SARS, which appeared in China in 2002, has a fatality rate of 10%. Imagine that, 1 in 10. 1 in 10. We would have had a lot of funerals here if God had sent us SARS. MERS, which appeared in Saudi Arabia in 2012, has a fatality rate of 35%. 35% fatality rate. Friends, I, I don't think any of us would be in this room today for fear of contacting, contracting that disease. We would have had so many funerals at this point. Can you imagine if SARS or MERS, which are also coronaviruses, had become a global pandemic? When the far less lethal COVID-19 coronavirus became a pandemic, the mRNA vaccine technology was in place almost instantly. Can you not see the wonderful goodness of God in this? He did not judge the world with SARS. He did not judge the world with MERS. And he gave his fallen image bearers 30 years, 30 years to develop a vaccine for a far less fatal coronavirus. I will never again strike down every living creature as I have done. He could have, but I'm not going to. Now I asked Dr. Seerad, who is a bioengineer and works with human cells, to explain the vaccine to me. And any, if I botch this up, he can correct me. Scientists have figured out how to communicate with your cells through messenger RNA instructions. And those instructions into your muscle cells, and they communicate how to build a hook protein that resembles the COVID protein or other foreign pathogens. And those instructions do not affect your DNA. They don't go into the nucleus. Nor do they carry a microchip developed by Bill Gates. (laughs) Nor do they even contain any of the virus. That protein that they construct is then recognized by a foreign, a, as a foreign agent and quickly colonized and destroyed by your body's immune cells. And this is the part that's marvelous to me. Those immune cells then communicate information. Your body's full of information. In fact, there was a creationist who wrote a book called In the Beginning Was Information. Information is everywhere in creation, all through your body. Those immune cells then communicate information to additional immune cells that travel to all points of your body through the bloodstream. And they instruct those cells, when you see this protein, this pathogen resulting from the curse of Adam, colonize and destroy it and let the body survive. And friends, this all happens at the cellular level. How small are your cells? Well, they come in different sizes. 
Well, let me give you some rough estimates. Look at my finger. You are looking at 30 billion cells. 30 billion cells. If you look at the tip of a pencil, a mechanical pencil, look at that little bit of lead that comes out. You're looking at two, you look at the size of 250,000 cells that can fit into the tip of a pencil. And RNA is much smaller. God has literally equipped human brains like Lee to communicate with those cells to figure out how to kill diseases and to send instruction through millions of cells all through your body. Whenever you see this, destroy it. I mean, it's absolutely extraordinary. I said to Lee, when you you understand the science, can anyone doubt there was a God who engineered us? There's no doubt whatsoever. God engineered us. And in looking at cell biology, we are looking at the mind of the Creator. Lee, how did I do? I'm okay? Okay, okay. (laughs) I told Dr. Johannes, I said, you know, once I understood the science in a very elementary way, Receiving the vaccine was an act of worship right there in the pharmacy aisle at Publix. I worship God because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And he has engineered me with trillions of cells that communicate with each other. I worship God because he equipped human image bearers with incredible ingenuity. Do you know how to communicate with cells? Somebody does. And I worship God for his common grace and not judging us with the severity we deserve. Now, I don't know all the people out there, the thousands, literally thousands and thousands of people all over the globe who work on these vaccines and various medicines. I don't know the spiritual condition of these people. And I don't know the spiritual condition of the ancient farmers who developed food for me, but I eat it. This is all part of the common goodness, common grace of God. When I said that to Dr. Johannes... He's not here today. I see his family. He, he gave me this sort of look like, are you just now figuring this out? <laughs> I think he understood this long before I did. This is all the common grace of God. He does not judge us with the severity we deserve. I need to hasten on. We need a second truth. Friends, the truth is, no matter how good our ancient food is, and no matter how good our modern medicine We are going to die. So here's the second truth. Let's turn to Matthew 8. The incarnation heals all our diseases. That's where ultimate healing comes, and I've really got to race through this. I referenced this passage previously. In fact, in the two previous sermons I preached on coronavirus. But let's make sure that we really understand one dimension of it. Here Matthew records Jesus healing several people. And in verse 2 of Matthew 8, Jesus heals a leper. A man with a dreadful, disfiguring, irreversible disease. Lepers quarantined until death. And once a priest rendered a verdict of leprosy, the afflicted person was not permitted to come into towns or cities. He was required to just cover his face and to cry out, Unclean! To anyone who came near. This is a dreadful disease. 
But in verse 3, notice Jesus reaches out and he touches the leper. Friends, no one touched a leper. But Jesus touches the man who had not enjoyed the warm embrace of another human being for months or even years. And verse 17 helps us interpret this miracle and the others recorded in chapter 8. Look at these words. This was to fulfill these miracles. What was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses, our illnesses, and bore our diseases. Now, Matthew quotes Isaiah 53, a passage that refers to the crucifixion of Jesus. That's critical. It refers to the crucifixion of the suffering servant. However, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Matthew deliberately alters the language of Isaiah 53. Isaiah said he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Isaiah does not identify specific causes of grief and sorrow. But Matthew takes Isaiah's statement and he applies it narrowly to those whose grief and sorrow is due to this illness and disease. And the terms are plural. Look at the terms. Illnesses and diseases. The suffering servant of Isaiah takes our illnesses. He takes our diseases. He takes our leprosy. He takes our cancer. He takes our coronavirus. And Jesus, friends, touches our leprosy. And God draws a great veil of darkness across the face of a deformed, grotesque figure expiring on a cross. And friends, Jesus becomes unclean. He is, in the words of Isaiah, one from whom men hide their faces. Jesus, friends, draws all of our uncleanness all of our disease into his incarnation. He carries our cancer, our AIDS, our leprosy, our flu, our COVID-19 to his cross. And Jesus dies veiled under the great dark night of the world. He dies of our sins, but he dies of leprosy also. He dies of cancer. He dies of the Spanish flu. He dies of COVID-19. He took our illnesses and our diseases to his cross. Friends, Jesus did not heal merely temporarily like a vaccine. Jesus absorbs all of our disease into his incarnation and he buries him in his grave and he arises with healing in his wings. And friends, every act of healing, every vaccine administered, every vial of pills distributed in the pharmacy, speaks the common grace of God. But every act of healing must point beyond itself ultimately to the ultimate display of God's grace. The incarnate Son of God took our curse and He buried it in His grave and He arose the first fruits of a new creation to come. Think of it, from ancient farmers laboring against the weeds and noonday sun to modern bioengineers racing against the clock in the laboratory. Every act of eating and every act of healing reminds us that we participate in a grace-saturated world. But every meal and every cure point beyond themselves to the ultimate cure when the Creator pours His lifeblood into the creation Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, 
and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That's our food. And that's our final cure. The blood of the incarnate God drained on the altar of a broken world. And to prepare for communion, friends, let's consider very briefly a third truth. It's this. God sovereignly controls pandemics to create repentance and worship. Let's turn to 2 Samuel 24. I'm almost done. 2 Samuel 24. God sovereignly controls pandemics to create repentance and worship. We examine this passage on a Wednesday night. I'll return to it just briefly. Here we learn of a disease burning through Israel after David conducted a census. And let's just recall two instructive aspects of this passage. First, the passage insists that God both sends disease and God stops disease. Now, we have seen a renewed flurry of news stories about the possible origins of coronavirus. Was it made by humans in a lab? Was it released deliberately or perhaps accidentally? I don't have the skill to answer those questions. There are questions that should be investigated. Humans are capable of using disease in nefarious ways. There's no question about that. And accidents do happen. And we should learn from them. But friends, at the same time, don't don't get so drawn in to speculations about the origins that you forget that God is sovereign over disease. Always maintain a proper biblical balance on divine sovereignty and human responsibility. And friends, I really need to emphasize divine sovereignty because nobody in the media has talked about it for 15 months. Nobody. Here's divine sovereignty, verse 15. So the Lord sent a pestilence on Israel from the morning until the appointed time. And there died of the people from Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men. Is there any question God sent that disease? And keep reading. Verse 16, And when the angel stretched out his hand toward Jerusalem to destroy it, as God should do because of our sin, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who was, who was working destruction on the people, It is enough. Now stay your hand. Is there any question, friends, God stopped the disease? You have not heard this perspective in the news for 15 months. I guarantee it. God's sovereignty is not an option on the table for Dr. Fauci or Senator Rand Paul to discuss. It's just not an option. And secondly, would you just observe the passage gives us a pattern for responding biblically to disease. You should really go back and read the whole passage, but would you just consider David's response? The passage actually gives us the data that we need to work out a fatality rate. David's census yielded 1,300,000 people, and there were some 70,000 deaths. That's a fatality rate of 0.0538. When it's all said and done, COVID-19 may have a similar fatality rate. 
And how much discussion has there been over the last 15 months over COVID-19 statistics, death rates, hospitalization rates, age indexing? I mean, all the data, all the stats. And friends, there is a place for statistics. And if I was Governor McMaster, I'd be looking at all that data. Don't misunderstand. But David was not preoccupied with statistics. He doesn't come along and say, oh, it really wasn't that bad. What was his response? Verse 17, David declared, I have sinned. And in verse 25, David built an altar. This is the proper response, repentance and worship. Over the last 15 months, wherever you go for your news, have you heard any commentators, right or left, call you to repentance and worship? No one. No one in the media is calling for repentance and worship. Did either presidential candidate call us to repentance and worship? Neither one did. You have not heard a biblical response to coronavirus anywhere in the media or in politics, and I dare say on social media either. And this is why I was just so burdened to come back one last time and to make sure as we hopefully leave this whole episode behind us that we are leaving it behind with a proper framework. If we believe that a good God does not judge us with the severity that we deserve, and if we believe the incarnation heals all our diseases, should we come to the communion table then with any other perspective than this? God sovereignly controls pandemics to create repentance and worship. Shall we pray?